This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What's up, everybody? Today we have Forrest from the Carolina Toffees joining us to do our Chelsea pre-match episode. Forrest, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you, Alex. Let's start off real quick before diving into the pre-match. Silva was actually charged by the FA because of approaching the referee Lee Mason after the match against Newcastle. What do you all think about that? I think he had every right to be upset after the after the match, given the context of the third goal, which in hindsight, with the benefit of the video, you can clearly see like their entire team was offside and the linesman just held his flag down for whatever reason. And though you can't really blame the capitulation entirely on the referee, mostly it was entirely Everton's fault and the players have a lot to, to take the blame for. That third goal changed everything and it was the difference between us taking a point from the match and taking nothing. So I think he has every right to be upset. What he exactly said to the referee, we'll never know. And I guess probably the nature of his approach to the referee and the whatever he said was what they decided to, to charge him for. So I guess that's fair. And I have no problem with it. If he ends up with a touchline ban, that will be very unfortunate. But it's good to see a manager who's willing to fight for what he thinks is right, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, I th- think there was an incident with Pochettino. I think it was with Mike Dean. Uh, he got into his face. He got a two-game touchline ban. And you're right, it is good that he's standing up for um, for what's happening. But um, at the same time, I don't know. I mean, it, we've seemed to have had a lot of referee decisions go against us this year. Um, and I can imagine he was frustrated not only with the performance, with the fact that this con- seems to continue to happen. And I don't know. It, it's frustrating. I wouldn't like to see him have a touchline ban because that doesn't help us going forward. But I mean, you're right. It, it is helpful that he's willing to stand up and stand up to the referees. Because I mean, if you don't have a, a manager or players who are willing to do that, then you don't really have a Premier League squad. Yeah, good point. So, so let me ask you all this. Does it give you any solace in knowing that the third goal technically shouldn't have been allowed? No, no way. <laughs> absolutely not yeah absolutely right. not. <laughs> that was just our uh, tuesday night sanity check okay yeah okay <laughs> otherwise okay so we have chelsea coming up at home at goodison park how are we feeling in general going into the match not good it's not good it's one of those things where coming off a somewhat positive performance we then immediately crush all sense of momentum and hope. And now we're going into a game against one of the big six. And though we did end up with the draw, of course, at Stanford Bridge in the reverse fixture, it's hard to see how if we can't hold the lead against Newcastle, we're going to put Chelsea to the sword. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's kind of most games that we have this season. Since we got knocked out of the FA Cup, it's kind of felt like our season's been over and it kind of approaching most games other than the Liverpool one with a bit of apathy almost like, well, whether we win or lose, you know, we're not really in danger of getting relegated. I know we're only like nine or eight points above uh, the relegation zone. But I don't think we'll go down there. Um, but I mean, we're not, I don't know. The Wolves look good. I think these other sides that are around us look a lot more confident, a lot better than we do at the moment. I don't think we'll really push for a European place unless we just get some results to go our way. 
So, I mean, Chelsea are there for the taking. I, I don't think they're exactly in a great run of form either at the moment, but it, it, yeah, there's not a lot of confidence going into it. I think I would agree with both of those statements. I mean, at the end of the day, are we, well, before this somewhat, I don't even know if you can call it a run, right? We got four points from two fixtures. Uh, and, you know, then we obviously collapsed against Newcastle. But prior to that, I would think that everyone kind of expected to lose this match anyway. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but I suppose sentiment hasn't changed. Although I would love for us to be completely incorrect. I mean, you have games, right? The the teams below you in the table, you just kind of go in with this conscious feeling that we can absolutely beat them. We're better than them on paper and we should win. And then you have the teams above us, namely the top six, who for my entire Everton fandom, we have struggled to compete with and beat on a regular basis. And so it doesn't, when you see that that team coming up on the fixture list, it doesn't make you filled with optimism. And depending on the form the team's in at any given moment, you may have a little more hope that we can give them a game and maybe squeak something by. But there's, of course, never going to be, we're never going to, or I've never been in a position where I'm looking at a Chelsea and Arsenal match, even at home, and thinking, this is a game we should win. It's more like, we could win, we have an okay chance of winning, but there's never a, a overwhelming confidence that the result is a foregone conclusion. If anything, it's, well, we're probably going to lose, but if we take anything from it, then I'm going to be happy with it. And that's sort of the attitude that, I mean, I, I, it sucks because, you know, you want to be relentlessly optimistic, but the team just makes it impossible. You just, anytime you get your hopes up, they're immediately crushed. So it feels like, well, I might as well go in with low expectations. And if we get anything out of it, then I'll just, I'll be over the moon. Yeah. It, it's kind of weird. You're, you're like exactly right. It's exactly how I felt whole time supporting Everton as well. It's it's hard, isn't it? That to, to even go into a match at home against a big six side and, and really feel like you don't have much of a realistic chance and go in thinking, well, as long as we get a point, then, hey, you know, we're great. You don't really want to go into a game at home expecting just just a point. You want three points. You want to win. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think we've taken, what, one point from the from the top six? And that was just in that last game against Liverpool so far this season. I mean, you compare that to Wolves, who've taken 10. I mean, that's that's it's a big hurdle we've got to overcome. And the mentality of the team and the way we approach these games. I know we had some good performances earlier this season, I think against Arsenal, against Manchester United, where we just didn't, you know, get the goals. We didn't, you know, put the team to the sword like we should. And then that's where it hurt us. But I mean, you're right. There, there is a, a sort of a, I mean, not a full on negative approach, but more of just like a, we can't really do this without a bit of luck. Like, And I think since maybe this Martin is his second season, his first season, we were great. I think we went into these big games with a lot more confidence once we started to really play i remember that three nil against arsenal when we were pushing for fourth i mean that's probably the best we've played against the top six side of goodison in a very long time and when everybody was in form but i mean you're right yeah and and it's disappointing and it's frustrating and you hope that goodison will be up for it tomorrow because i mean as it was alluded to by many of the players and by marco silva and the liverpool matches like when goodison is up for it and it's rocking i mean it's a 12th man on the pitch it really like the, the saying that the Gladys sucks the ball into the net. I think I said that in the last time I spoke with y'all, but it's a very true saying. Goodison really changes uh, the way a game is going just by being loud and being aggressive. Yeah, and I mean, James has mentioned it before. It's probably a couple months ago now that Vlasic said in an interview at some point that 
the Everton players were literally afraid of playing at home because of the fans, you know, because the stadium was so quiet. I'm kind of uh, hesitant about how the fans are going to, you know, react to the players on the pitch on Sunday against Chelsea. But let's move into tactics. How do we think Everton are going to approach the match? I mean, I think we're going to try to play on the front foot. I think we have to just to maybe get Goodison going to bed. I think if we get a few early chances, you know, God forbid an early goal, that's really going to, to, you know, get things going. Hopefully. I mean, we scored two in the first half against Newcastle and then totally fell apart in the second half. So, uh, you know, there's at this point, you really don't know what's going to happen with this team, but I mean, we, we have to try to establish ourselves. I think Chelsea are there for the taking. I think they're not in the greatest run of form. I think they're a bit fragile. I think Maurizio Sarri is kind of on the chopping block of it as well. Um, you know, and they just, just had a very lucky draw against Wolves. I, I mean, I say lucky. They put, sure they had plenty of chances. They didn't get to watch a game, but um, it's, I don't know. I, we just need to approach it with the right intent and, and be solid at the back more than anything. That's where we've struggled. Um, and when we're not solid at the back, especially at home, Goodison starts groaning. I think more mistakes happen just because the players get nervous. Um, the fans get nervous and it's just, it's just not the way you want to play at home especially against the top six side who are going to punish you with, uh, for your mistakes. Yeah, the atmosphere in the first – I mean, when the, when the teams are coming out the tunnel to Z-Cars, that's going to be huge, right? Like if we can set that tone for the players before kickoff and then give them that little bit of extra boost for the first 10, 15 minutes, they maybe can grab, take the initiative, control possession, move the ball – maybe create an early good scoring chance, an early tackle similar to what we had in the Derby. And then you can build off of that. And that's going to be the most important thing. I am worried about where the team's heads are going to be at. Of course, they're all professionals, but it's been proven time and time again that this group of players just lacks leadership and the ability to maintain certain levels over even the course of a single game much less over multiple games and over the course of a season. And so that's a, a huge area of concern. I do expect Margot Silva will be talking talking them up beforehand. We're going to have to and, – and I agree with you, Forrest, like they're, Chelsea are there for the taking. They are not nearly the team that Liverpool are. They've got a lot of weaknesses. They're not even really, I think, set in their identity or their style of play quite yet. Mm-hmm. But – Regardless, they have players over the all over the pitch that can hurt you. And I did manage to catch like the last twenty five minutes of their game match against Wolves. And though they were down one nil, it was like a relentless. They had all the possession. Wolves had ten men behind the ball, ten men in the box, defending, 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 trying to just you know get find that outlet to break. I don't expect that that will be the case in this game. But it's just a reminder, like, even though they are a team kind of all over the place right now and probably doubting some of their their tactics and certainly questioning their manager, they've still got Eden Hazard. They've got very, very strong players all over the pitch. And we're going to have to be mindful of that and not really overextend ourselves and leave ourselves exposed at the back because we've shown we can concede a lot of goals in a short span of time. Okay, so let me ask you all this. With Chelsea, generally speaking, wanting to control possession, right? How do you think our press is going to look? Do you think it's going to look like a very calculated, 
press, kind of like we saw against Liverpool, where it wasn't it wasn't necessarily rushing the center backs, but it was kind of Sigurdsson and, and Calvert-Lewin pinching in to make sure they couldn't play out of the back ver- uh, via Fabinho. Or, you know, do you think it's going to be making sure they can't build up on the outside? How, how do you think that's going to go? I mean, I think it'll be similar to Liverpool because, again, yeah, Chelsea like to play out from the back. That's where they start a lot of their attacks is with their center backs. Um, you know, finding that right pass to midfield to kind of pry open that first press and go from there. But, I mean, it all depends on the mentality of the team and how up for it they are. I'm sure against Liverpool, they were very up for it, you know, very focused. You could see that in the team. I think a lot of people took a lot of hope from that performance, but it's up to uh, the manager to really get them going for every game like that. I mean, I I, I didn't get the opportunity to watch Newcastle. was on a plane home from Denver, um, so I just kind of get score updates. (laughs) Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but I, I would assume we were at least up for it for the first half. Um, from what I was seeing, we had play, were playing well in the first half. Um, but it just goes up to the mentality of the team, whether they've done their homework and they know the passing lanes to break off, because that's where we seem to try to press is in passing lanes rather than the, the players themselves. Um, yeah. What was so jarring about the Newcastle game was the just – completely different team that decided to walk out on the field for the second half. Like first half we were cruising. I was thinking, wow, this is great. Like we're, we're really showing that we, we have that killer instinct and that we have the ability, you know, we've reverted to, this is the type of the football that we played for the first half of the season before things kind of started to fall apart. And then second half it was, or even, it wasn't even the start of the second half, but as the second half wore on, we kind of, fell back into the habits that we've fallen into. And once that first goal went in, it just continued to build and continue to fall apart. But tactically, the most important thing for us is going to be, I think, keeping the ball away from Jorginho in midfield. And one of the things, shout out to Callum, uh, Callum Wyatt on Twitter, friend of the show, who did some really cool graphics about the Liverpool game. And we have retweeted those on our account. But like our press was essentially like a four-man block that was centered around trying to prevent Liverpool from playing out of the back through Fabinho and then you know through the middle of their midfield. And I expect that we'll employ a similar style of press to prevent Jorginho from getting on the ball too much because that position is, as has been repeated ad nauseum for those analyzing Chelsea matches this season, that position is what makes Sarri's entire system tick. And so if you can eliminate his ability to play on the ball, then they they don't have a ton of other options. They don't love to play down the wing all that much, although they, of course, have very talented wide players. So I think that type of press, the four-man block where you have whoever's at striker and then whoever is at attacking mid, presumably Sigurdsson, both sort of leading the press and then uh, the two central midfielders also cutting those passing lanes, we will see... That's what I would expect to see um, from Everton tactically when off the ball. Yeah, well, I think we did that at Chelsea away. Um, that's why we got a result there. We did get a result there, didn't we? It was nil-nil. Yeah. Um, so two points from the top six. But uh, yeah, I think that's what we did. And they ended up subbing off Jorginho like, at halftime or like, right after halftime because he just wasn't doing anything. I think Gay was man-marking him pretty well. And yeah, I mean, if we do that again and just find a bit of a killer instinct, find some goals and, and ride our luck a bit, I think you know, we can get a result. Man, I really appreciate the the uh, technical outlay there from both of you. If you're listening, shoot us a tweet at USA Toffee Pod. Let us know. Do you agree with Forrest? Do you agree with James? Do you have different ideas to how 
we might press if we'll press. Let us know. Otherwise, let's jump into lineup predictions. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to name my preferred defense. James will name his preferred midfield and Forrest will give his preferred forwards and we'll have a bit of a conversation. I'm going to assume that y'all are cool with a 4-3-3. Yeah. Yes. 4-2-3-1, I think. Right. I don't think. Yeah. It depends on it depends on what you want to call it in or out of possession, I think, but either way, okay, so we'll we'll agree with essentially the same thing. So 4-3-3, yeah, it's fine. So, I'm going to name Pickford although this week of all weeks that might not be a safe assumption. Yeah, he really he, I, I don't know. You see the videos of the way. I mean, he really let the Newcastle fans get to me, let the occasion get to him. And it wasn't. I understand he's a Sunderland guy. You know, it's it's where he grew up. It's his team. I, I get that. But you would expect a little bit more of him for being. I mean, just just how far he's come in his career, getting as far as he did in the World Cup, and, and really being a vocal number one. It's just it was disappointing to see the game get to his head like that. And I really think I I've said it before many times that I think that mistake in the Liverpool game just really is still with him. I don't know what it is about that, but he's just not been the same since that. That's fair to say. I also I also think that, you know, there was a video on Twitter that showed him walking off the pitch. He was walking off as if he had just essentially won the World Cup. And then he was sticking his tongue out at some supporters that yelled something kind of playful to him. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you see Ghana behind him five meters, like moping off the pitch, looking really upset, probably wondering why he isn't in Paris right now. And Pickford's walking off like he is about to lift a trophy. And I'm just, I'm so confused. Like, where's the professionalism? It's, it's really weird. It, you know, he is a player that has a lot of confidence in himself and high belief. And I think that is probably what was manifesting itself in like those clips. But you have to read the room. You know what I mean? You can't. After you collapse like that, you should, like you said, have your head down. Just walk, get off the pitch, do whatever you want in the locker room. But don't be trying to, you know, gloat to the fans like you have anything to be proud of after that performance. Because arguably one of his worst performances in a blue shirt since joining us. And I, he's undroppable because you just can't play Martin Stecklenburg flat out. Still dropping quality. Even Pickford on... At seventy five percent, I think is still far superior to Martin Stecklenburg at full strength. I don't know, man. I'm I'm a big fan of Stex, but nonetheless, uh, I guess we can move on. I my only my only point that I thought of, you know, while sitting at work, deathly bored the other day, is that, uh, you know, I think that we always really benefited from having someone as good as Robles in the squad as like a number two, and it's going to be really hard to find a second keeper specifically for Everton, that's going to be able to push Pickford that maybe Joel would have been able to. But Yeah, absolutely. I will start off with my defense. So I'll start off with the center backs. It's important to note that, unfortunately, again, Zuma cannot feature against his parent club, Chelsea, because he is a low knee. So with that being said, if you remember in the reverse fixture at Stamford Bridge, that is where Mina got his official debut. And he actually one man of the match for that performance. With all of that being said, although it looked like he was Bambi on ice against Newcastle, my center back pairing is going to be Yerry Mina and Michael Keane. On the outsides, assuming Coleman is not sick anymore, I'm going to go with Seamus Coleman because if we're going to be honest, John Joe Kenny, that was probably his worst performance in the last couple seasons since he's been with 
the first team, I think. And then at left back, none other than Luca Dean. Yeah, sounds about right. I I totally forgot that Zuma is on loan from Chelsea. <laughs> but I think Keen Mina, I mean, yeah, that's what we're going to go with. I don't think there's really anybody else to step in, especially now that Holgate's on loan at West Brom. Um, and I'm, I hope he can put in a good performance. Maybe he's a bit better suited to a four at the back rather than a three. Um, and I guess we'll see if Coleman's fit or not. I, I, I didn't know what had happened to him at first. I didn't figure that out until just now that he had gone off with an illness before the match. So, I mean, we'll see if he's ready to go or not. If not, it'll be Kenny. And I, I mean, he doesn't, he's not too bad of a player. I think he's got, when you see him play, he looks like he has a lot of Coleman in him when he goes forward, but he also has a lot of Coleman in him when he, when he's defending as well in terms of positioning. Um, and then, yeah, Luca Dean is probably our player of the season at the moment. I think he's just about undroppable. Yeah, I agree with the whole your whole selection of the back line. I will slightly disagree with you in that uh, the match for Kenny against Newcastle was probably his worst. I thought the first half he actually played quite well, and then like the rest of the team, his performance fell off in the second half. But if Coleman is fit, he definitely starts for me over Kenny. All right, James. So how about you bless us with your midfield trio? This one's a little tough. I I think you have to play Gilfie Sigurdsson at the number 10 just because who else will you play he is still vitally important to us anything that we do offensively he tends to figure out ways to get himself involved so I think he retains his spot and then Adrisa Gay keeps his place as well going to be a very very big game for him matching up with pretty much all of Chelsea's players breaking up things getting in those passing lanes because I do still think that Chelsea are going to try to maintain. I mean, they play possession-based football, so it's inevitable that we're going to need Gay to to do his thing and win a lot of the possession back when when possible. And then that third spot is kind of up in the air. It's going to be, I think you can make a case for Schneiderlin. You can make a case for Gomez. You can make a case even for Tom Davies to come in. For me, you stick with Andre Gomez because of his ability to create things going forward, his creativeness and possession and finding unconventional ways to get the ball wide or to find players in the middle. It's just really a different level to what an, a Tom Davies would give you, which is is essentially more just raw work rate. And maybe that's what Silva thinks we need. But for me, we do need that other player in midfield besides Sigurdsson sitting a little bit deeper, trying to unlock the defense. Would agree with that. See, I I like the thought process, and I think you and I have been battling with with really how to set up the midfield for the entire season. It was a little easier before Schneiderlin reappeared, wasn't it? But I think I'm gonna have to go with Schneiderlin along with Ghana and Sigurdsson. And that's because I think that a big reason why we did not we were not able to secure the match against Newcastle. I think the right sub would have been Schneiderlin instead of a defender like Mina in general, which hindsight is 2020, but my counterpoint to, you know, the creativeness, right? The ball from Schneiderlin to Seamus Coleman, I guess you could call it a secondary assist in the match against, I actually don't even remember who, who that was against. It was a couple weeks ago, right? It was a fantastic ball over the top on the right-hand side. Schneiderlin is able to play those balls out of the back. And so I think that in general, he offers at least some sort of forward mobility, forward passing. And I think it's going to be even more important, the effect 
his presence has on Ghana. Yeah, I see the case you're making. I so we played. I think I think that match was against Cardiff. I think it was Cardiff there away. Yeah, but um, so so I think the aspect we'll have there with Schneiderlin and Gomez is who's more mobile. I mean, Gomez likes to drive the ball forward. He likes to be on the ball, and obviously he's looking for the forward pass. Schneiderlin he he sits a bit deeper. He'll he'll play these good passes forward, but he he's he reminds me more of of a player like Ghana, more of a ball winning midfielder. I know it's not really his role. Um, he's not look really looking there. He's not really there to break up play. Uh, he's there to find the pass. And I think it all depends on how we want to set up against Chelsea. If we want to give them possession and kind of sit in front of them and try to break on them, or if we want to try to take the game to them and have Gomez come in and drive the ball forward when he gets it, that's it, it's on Silva. And I'm trying to remember. Schneiderlin started the derby, did he not? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, so I could see him going the same with, with Gay and Schneiderlin to try to shore up the midfield a bit. You know, give Gay a little bit more license to run around and win the ball back, and so that he Schneiderlin can sit in front of the back four and play out those passes to Sigurdsson to whoever's on the wings for Charleston, Walcott, Bernard, um, and you know, balls forward to I would assume Calvert Lewin. Well, since you kind of already started Forrest, how about you give us your preferred front three? So preferred front three would be what we did against Newcastle. It would be Bernard, uh, Calvert Lewin, and Rich Charleston. I think Walcott's just so out of form right now. It's very hard to make a case for him to start. Um, I, I don't think Richarlison has played very well for probably about two months now, maybe even longer than that. Honestly, he's really—I mean—he's still scoring the odd goal, but he's not really contributing a lot more to overall play, which is something he's going to have to bring into his game. And he—he he really is frustrating when he decides to go to the grounds when he gets touched. It's—it's it's very hard to watch and. He's just just at the point now with referees where he's not going to get that call unless the referee really thinks it was a deliberate foul. Um, and Bernard is just in in such great form. He's really uh, forming a partnership with Luca Dean. And you saw it in the Newcastle match. How many back heels? How many overlaps that he was able to work with Dean to to create chances for us? I mean, it's I think he's undroppable. He's probably him and Dean are the two truly undroppable players in the squad. Pickford as well, just because he didn't have the competition. And then I mean, Calvert Lewin. He's not there yet. He's a young striker. You know he. Joined us from Sheffield United just, I think, a year and a half ago, two years ago now, and he's 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 a good player. You can definitely see there's something there with him, and it's starting to click a little bit. But it's it's up to him to really take these chances that he's getting with us now. He's, he's our main striker, and he has to establish himself in that role, or else we're going to buy somebody in the summer. I know, I saw uh, an article from the Echo, the Liverpool Echo, I think it was Brands talking about how they're not looking for a big striker in the summer, but. I mean, maybe that's just to put, you know, to give DCL more incentive to really perform and make that spot his own. Yeah, I agree with you, Forrest. Bernard, probably the the standout player for me in the Newcastle match, uh, as bad as it ended up being. Just so creative on the ball and uh, just offers just a technical ability that's really vastly superior to that of Richarlison, who, while he may not be the finished article, still offers more even on the right out of position than I think Theo Walcott has. Theo Walcott's had countless chances now this season, hasn't got the job done. And so I think if you can fit both Bernard and Richarlison in the squad, it just the potential for the performance is much, much higher than if you just throw Theo Walcott on. And you know what has he done for us lately? Not or all season besides save maybe the first couple games when he scored. Right. It's It's clear that you have to put him in. And maybe, you know, Adam Olokuma made a substitute performance. It's kind of crazy that he's fallen out of 
the conversation because for such a long stretch of the year, we've been crying out for him to get a go, get a start. It wouldn't shock me to see him come in, but whatever's going on, again, we've we've kind of repeated it over and over again. Whatever's going on behind the scenes with Adam Lookman, something none of us as fans are privy to. And my guess is that there's there's something that's preventing him from getting in the side. And so I, I don't see that anything really that would have changed drastically that would change that. So it, it's Richarlison, Bernard, and, and Calvert-Lewin for me as well. Yeah, I'm going to go with all three of those and, and wholeheartedly agree with both of you. So let's go off on a, on a slight tangent real quick before we wrap it up with our score predictions. So let me ask you, you both a question. And this is something that I've seen kind of discussed briefly on Reddit and Twitter. And then Forrest, you... Uh, unfortunately played right into my my trap when you were talking about the front three. So why do we consider and and actually say aloud that Calvert-Lewin is our young striker, but we do not consider or even mention it with Richarlison when they are essentially the same age, 21 years old? I don't know. I mean, I would say Richarlison's still young. He's, he's the, they're the same age, like you said. Maybe Richarlison's come in because he's Brazilian, with a bit more of that potential, that bit more flair that you would think of a Brazilian behind him. Whereas Calvert-Lewin is that young English striker who's working hard, who's he's more of a target man. You lump a ball forward towards him and he'll get on the end of it, whether it's a flick on, whether he's just you know making a pass to to a teammate. Well, I think you have to look at their respective price tags and that has to be the the main indicator because we paid $50 million for Richarlison. So with that in mind, you have to assume that the expectation, the weight of expectation would be a lot higher and that he would come in and immediately perform the same as if you spend $50 million on a 28-year-old, there's still a lot of expectation for that player to perform. And so I think just the, the amount of money that we spent on Richarlison alone versus Calvert-Lewin, who I think we may have spent around between 7 and $10 million at the time when we purchased him. I'm, I'm not certain of that at all. But I th- yeah. And so that is a player who you're looking to develop, who has time to improve. And he hasn't, he didn't make an instant impact when he came. And we're kind of just waiting for him to slowly integrate into the first team. And so I think that those different paths to the first team are what cause people to have different levels of expectation for either of them. That makes sense. I just thought that that was kind of an interesting conversation people were having. And, and it, I mean, it makes sense because. You never, you never really see the word young or, or mention of age with Richarlison, but along with the transfer fee, it could also be the fact that he's put up double digits in terms of goals this season. And although obviously Calvert-Lewin has, hasn't had near the same amount of minutes, you know, he has not, to put it bluntly. So let's wrap things up with score predictions. Forrest, as our honorary guest, we'll let you go first. Okay. Well, I think... I think there's going to be goals in the game. I think both sides are going to be fairly open. Um, I really want to see us win, but I think it's going to be a draw. I think it'll be 2-2. Um, say Richarlison and uh, Bernard with the goals. I'd love to see Bernard score again. He's only got, I think, one this season. 2-2. That's that's uh, pretty bold there because you know scoring twice on Chelsea, not that they have some ridiculously solid defense, but you know stor- scoring hasn't been necessarily our strong suit this season. And yes... Bernard has one goal this season, not even in the Premier League, though. Yeah, it was uh, FA Cup, I think. I think I'm going to go a 1-1 draw. 
And I will go as far as to say that it's going to be Calvert-Lewin to score for Everton once again. Well, that leaves me and as the resident (laughs) Debbie Downer of the show and someone who wants to go into this game with expectations set as low as possible because God knows Everton will find a way to let me down regardless. I'm going to go with a a 1-0 loss. You know what? Never mind. Scrap that. (laughs) I'm going to go a one-all draw. But it's we are going to take the lead and concede late to drop the drop the two points and, and escape with only one point. I'm gonna say that it's Gilfie Sigurdsson on the score sheet for us. And um honestly, taking a point from this game at this stage of the season, I I'm okay with that. I'm I'm honestly totally okay with it. Yeah. And if we could just talk a, maybe just for a brief minute about Ross Barkley. Uh, coming back to Goodison for the first time since he moved from Everton. I think last season, I think he was injured for the game, so he, he wasn't there. But it's, uh, there's going to be, I mean, if he gets on the pitch, there's, <laughs> as the Boo Boys are going to be out, it's going to be a very, very, uh, very hostile atmosphere towards him. And it'll be interesting to see how he takes it. I, I, I've never looked at him as, and I think you could see it during his time at Everton as a player with a lot of uh, confidence. I think the fans, I mean, the fans got on his back a lot. And probably not rightfully so, even if his performances weren't always great. He wasn't a player that ever dropped his head, I feel. He he didn't always give 100%. He wasn't always making the right passes, but I still think he was a blue. And, and I know that I think the Everton fans really expect a lot of the local boys. I think it's why you see a lot of people question and criticize Tom Davies. I, and I wish they would give him a little bit more patience because he is... He's 18, he's 19, he's still very young, and I know people mention the fact that he's played a lot of games in the Premier League for Everton, but I mean, he can, he can only do so much. He's, he has to continue to develop, and I think it takes a lot more than just a manager. He takes good players. It takes a good determination from a player to really develop into a, a solid Premier League player, but it, it's going to be <laughs> it's, it's just going to be hostile. It, it'll be very loud, and I'm sure there'll be some chance about him. No doubt there are going to be some chance about him. I think I think that it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to it, assuming he takes the pitch. And there could be a possibility he starts. I don't know. But uh, it'll be super interesting. And let's hope that if he does start or make an appearance, that he doesn't do too hot and that he reacts in a poor manner. And you know what? In good faith, I'll wear my Everton number eight Ross Barkley kit. (laughs) Fair enough. It's a bold move, Alex. Um, Ross Barkley was just starting to come through the ranks kind of when I was just becoming an Everton fan. And so he was like the perfect player and he was like the perfect local player coming through the ranks, the exact type of thing that you love to see and that draws fans into English soccer. And he was my personal favorite player for a long time. And so I was devastated when he eventually left under such negative circumstances. I too have the Ross Barkley 20 kit from I believe it would have been 2015 and it's sitting in my drawer haven't decided really what to do with it <laughs> it's I kind of just want to light it on fire but you you can guarantee I wouldn't be shocked to see at least one rubber snake thrown on the pitch or some sort of hissing noises being uh dished out at Barkley be when he when, you you don't think you don't think that that's I happen? think I think that's a pretty small time thing. Just, just personally, I think that's a, that's a like Watford did that, and I think a lot of Everton fans <laughs> laughed at that. I think a lot of the media laughed at that too. 
I, I, yeah, I could see us doing true. that personally. I just think we will be booing him every time he touches the ball. Um, we'll be booing him during his warmups if he's out there. Um, when he if he messes up and makes a bad pass or a shot, Goodison will <laughs> very loudly cheer. Um, so I mean, he's going to feel the full brunt of Goodison when it's when it's you know going after a player. I, I don't think it'll go as far as that. I, I, I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, that's a fair enough point. I think that it would surprise me to see us stoop that low, but it also, you know, given the circumstances of our season, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, people, you never know what depths people will sink to. And it only takes one fan, right? It's not like we're going to have a, a, the entire Gladys Street like throwing rubber snakes yeah. at him. All right. Well, Forrest, thank you so much for joining us once again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to be on. Otherwise, everybody listening, make sure you connect with us on our new Facebook page, just search American Toffee Podcast. Otherwise, look out for our post-match podcast on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.